verse 4 it says, And the mixed multitude that were among them fell a lusting, and the children of Israel also wept again, and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the, and the garlic, the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all beside this manna before our eyes. This manna that God had sent to sustain them through the wilderness journey. This manna that was heaven's food. This manna that was angels' food. They complained against. This manna that God graciously provided for them. And it was satisfying to the, to the needs of every individual. No one had any lack. They were all sustained and fed, but they became dissatisfied with what God had provided. If you'll notice verse 4, it says that the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusty. You know, they begin to complain in verse 1. It says the people complained. This is Numbers 11, verse 1. They complained. It displeased the Lord. And that's when he sent the fire among them. And when we complain about nothing, by the way, God will give us something to complain about. You know, a lot of times we complain about literally something that doesn't amount to anything. And when we do that, God's going to fix it to where we'll have a real legitimate reason to complain. And Israel did not uh, need Moses until they got into trouble. And then Moses, if you look down in verse 2, people cried unto Moses. And when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. They never needed, they didn't need their leader until they got in trouble. By the way, it reminds me of some people that have called me many, many times, and they don't need the preacher or the church until they get in trouble. I've already had two calls yesterday and today of that nature. But they don't need the church. They don't need the preacher. They don't need the deacons. They don't need the Christian brothers and sisters here until they get in trouble. And then they say, they call me up and say, you know, we sure need the Lord's presence or help in this situation. Well, I guess so. You've needed it a long time. You needed it to come to church. Sure you need it. But the only way you're going to get it is to get yourself right with God, and then God will give you His presence and His blessings. But as long as you uh, stay away and complain and murmur, and notice it's the mixed multitude uh, that was among them, the worldly crowd that caused them to complain this way. By the way, hold your place in Numbers 11 because we'll stay. I might just camp there a little bit. And God's people can provoke God to wrath. And that's what they did. And do you know the mixed multitude is the one that caused all the trouble? They were stirring this thing up for God's people. Unconverted church members or worldly church members caused a lot of trouble too. You know that? Unconverted or worldly church members. Every once in a while you'll get some worldly church members and they'll say, well now, if we'll just bring this into our church, and they want to bring in, this, is, this there's a constant clamor in the church for worldly things. I remember one incident, and I won't call any names, but this particular one says, if you'll just have this big Halloween party, I can get my daughter-in-law and my son and them back in the church. I'd get them to come to church. So they, they got together and they had a Halloween party down in the basement of the church. And I wasn't for it to begin with. But anyway, you know, sometimes they do those things. There's a lot of things I'm not for that goes on. And uh, sometimes you make everyone mad if you, if you just say no. Uh, but anyway, I did question it, and I told them I didn't think it'd work. And they tried it. Sure enough, it didn't work. The very people you give those parties for don't come in the first place. That's right. 
They don't want it. And then after it's all over, the other people are corrupted with the thing uh, when you get through. they got all the crazy things going on that you didn't want to be there in the first place and it didn't accomplish the purpose. Don't ever think that worldliness in the church is going to pay off spiritual dividends. It's just not going to do it. And people got the idea, well, you know, have this, Brother Joyce, have that. Well, listen, where did it stem from? If it stems from God's Word, if it's spiritual and scriptural, fine and dandy. But if it stems from the flesh and from the world and from the mixed multitude, you better leave it alone. And I think some churches have learned a few lessons in the last year or two about this same thing. Worldliness does not promote spirituality. And worldly, worldly plans, worldly methods, worldly means do not bring about spiritual dividends. But anyway, we find that all of this, the church, the church really needs to be in the world, but not of the world. And the Bible says a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I could go on with this leaventh of numbers, but let's get back to the Psalms. But this had its basis right there. Look in Psalm uh, that we just read. Psalm uh, 78 and verse uh, verse uh, 21. It says, Therefore the Lord heard this and was wroth, so a fire was kindled against Jacob, and anger also came uh, up against Israel, because they believed not in God and trusted not in His salvation. What is the sin of unbelief? They believe not. It says, Though he commanded the clouds from above, and opened the doors of heaven, and had rained down manna upon them to eat, and had given them the corn of heaven, God had provided them food in the wilderness. Man did eat angels' food. He sent them meat to the full. It was called angels' food. It's, it's said that every Jew that would pick up this manna, that whatever kind of taste he desired, that it suited the palate. It, it was exactly the taste that he was desiring to eat. And remember when they said manna, it means, what is it? What is it? But it tastes like what I want. And then finally they became dissatisfied with it. Christ is what people... He said, I'm the bread of life. I'm the true bread that came down from heaven. If a man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. That manna was typical of Christ. And when people become dissatisfied with Jesus and want to find their satisfaction and their sustenance from the world or outside of the Lord, they find that, uh, and they begin to complain against God, they're in a very dangerous position. Because if you remember in Numbers, I believe it's 21, where at that particular time when they complained about the manna, that God sent fire serpents among them and sent a plague of serpents. There's nothing worse for a Christian than to become dissatisfied in the things of God. There's really nothing worse. When you become dissatisfied with spiritual things, with heavenly and eternal things, and turn to the world to satisfy your needs, or the flesh, or the devil, then you're going to find you'll be sadly disappointed. So turn to God and let Him be the full satisfaction of your soul. And He will satisfy every need you have. So, it says, uh, man did eat angels' food. He sent them meat to the full. By the way, when He sent that food, he told them to go out and gather every day for their needs. God rained down the manna from heaven. And they went out and they gathered uh, all that they needed. And the Bible says, now listen, he that gathered little had no lack. He that gathered much had, had nothing over, nothing too much. So every man, according to his need, it was supplied. 
And God says, now don't try to keep this and hoard this up till tomorrow because it'll breed worms and stink. And He says, you won't like that. And some of them kept it overnight. See, when God told them not to, that's exactly what they did. Reminds us of some of us, doesn't it? When God tells us not to, that's what we want to do. So, some of them tried it. They said, well, you know, maybe he's just joking with us. Maybe it really won't happen. So they kept it the next day. And sure enough, it bred worms and stank. And then finally on the, on the Sabbath day, he says, a day before the Sabbath, he says, you gather twice as much the day before the Sabbath. And he says, you can keep it tomorrow and it'll supply you for the Sabbath. You see, when God told him to gather on the day before the Sabbath and it wouldn't do that, it didn't do that. But then he says, don't go out there in the field on the Sabbath day and try to find any because there will be none. And nevertheless, some of them went out there to try to find it. And sure enough, it was just like God said, there wasn't any there. You see, God knows exactly, and His instructions to us are not, um, they're, they're definite, they're clear. They're not fictitious. He means what He says. Whatever God has spoken, He will bring to pass. So anyway, let's go on with this. Uh, it says in verse 26, you have Psalm 78, 26, He caused an east wind to blow in the heaven, and by His power He brought in the south wind. He rained flesh also upon them as dust and feathered fowls like as the sand of the sea. They wanted flesh to eat. God says, okay, I'll give you manna, and then I'll also give you some, some flesh some meat, and he rained fowls upon them. The Bible says, listen, you know how, how much it was? It was a whole day's journey on every side of the camp. That's what, about three-fifths of a mile or... Huh? A day's journey? Oh, oh, okay. But it was a day's journey on every side of the camp. Or maybe it said a Sabbath day's journey. But anyway, it was all around the camp. And it was two cubits high. That's, that's three feet deep of fowls that flew in miraculously. And they could catch those things and they took them up by the bushels. It said they gathered so many homers or bushels. They gathered them up by the bushels and they tried to keep all these fowls and they started fixing them for, their sale, for themselves. And before they got through, well, they were sick. I mean really sick. God sent a plague among them and many of the people died. Multitudes, numbers of them died because they so lusted after flesh. You see, the, the thing about it is when we are not satisfied with what God gives us, sometimes He'll give us what we want and then He'll make us sick of it. You ever thought of that? So that means that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us, it's better to ask according to His will than according to what we want. Now, sometimes if we want things that are according to His will, it's different. If our desires are His desires, it says He will it, that you pray to God and He'll give you the desires of your heart. But the desires of your heart better be what's within the realm of His will for you. Because if it's the desires of your fleshly mind and of your carnal nature... You're going to get sick of it before it's over. And God is going to make you sick of the very thing that you sought for satisfaction. He'll make you absolutely sick of it. You'll say, that doesn't satisfy me. I want what God's blessings are upon. 
And if you get what God blesses in your life, there'll be far more satisfaction to all of your needs than otherwise. So, verse 27, He rained flesh also upon them as dust and feathered fowl like as the sand of the sea, and He let it fall in the midst of their camp round about their habitations. And it is a day's journey on every side, by the way. So a day, a day's journey on every side. And it's, it's two cubits high or deep. So they did eat and were filled, for He gave them their own desire. Look at that. He gave them their own desire. Have you ever heard people, these people that just say, name it and God will give it, you know? He, and they use that scripture I quoted a little bit ago about He'll give you the desires of your heart. Name it and God will give it to you. Well, they named it, and God gave it to them. But it was their own desire. It wasn't God's desire. It, it, they did not make their desire what God would have them to have. They didn't seek to understand whether it was the will of God. And then it says in the next verse, they, they were not estranged from their lust. See, it was their lust. But while their meat was yet in their mouths, the wrath of God came upon them and slew the fattest of them and smote down the chosen men of Israel. The great, the captains, the leaders, the elders, the special men, the chosen men of Israel. For all this they sinned still, look at that, and believed not for his wondrous works. This is an example of how God corrects his people. How does he correct them? From the sin of unbelief. He sends this judgment or chastening upon them. You read in the New Testament that... The Bible says, Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. And just because God chastens doesn't mean he doesn't care. It means he loves you. But it does mean that he's not going to put up with your foolishness. That he's not going to put up with you rebelling and lusting and going away from God. But he's going to bring leanness of soul as a result. For all this, even after God judged them and the wrath of God came upon them, verse 31, and slew the fattest of them, and smote down the chosen men of Israel. For all this they sinned still, and believed not uh, for his wondrous works. This shows us in the next several verses, in verses 32 through 37, the nature of sin, and how deep-rooted sin is. An example of the deep-rooted nature of sin, from verses 32 through 37. By the way, if you want some divisions in this psalm, I can give them to you later. Verses 1 through 5, well, I'll give them to you now. Verses 1 through 5, and I can repeat them to you later uh, and give you the titles for several divisions. But verses 1 through 5, five how these things have, uh, were preserved, that is, the history of Israel, how they were preserved, verses 1 through 5. And then uh, verses 6 through 8, the purpose of keeping a good and true record. Verses 9 through 11, the, the mistakes made by the tribe of Ephraim. Just put Ephraim's mistakes. Verse 13, a picture of baptism. Verse 14, an example of divine leadership. Remember the pillar of cloud and fire. Verse 15 and 16, water from the rock. Verses 17 and 18, a warning against the sin of lust. Verse, verses 19 through 28, the section we've just covered, a warning against the sin of unbelief, and then verses 29 through 31, an example of how the Lord corrects his people, and the one where, the section we're in now, and possibly it'd be best to give you this, and I'll give you the remainder of it later, 
But the section we're in now, verses 32 through 37, is an example of the deep-rooted nature of sin. It was so deep-rooted in them that it says in verse 32, and we go through verse 37, For all this they sin still and believe not for his wondrous works. When God's wondrous works will call, not cause men to, to change their mind and believe instead of disbelieve, it shows you how deep-rooted that nature of sin really is, doesn't it? That whatever God does, we just won't believe Him anyway. And God was doing wonderful things for them, and then God judged them when they did wrong, and they still wouldn't believe God. God gave them water from the rock. He gave them a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night to guide them in the way. He gave them divine provisions and manna from heaven. He gave them all uh, their needs in the wilderness, and yet for all this, they murmured against God and they complained and they would not believe God and what God brought judgment, and then they still wouldn't believe. Either way. In verse 33 it says, Therefore their days did, did he consume in vanity and their years in trouble. Remember the whole generation of adults from 20 years old and upward, listen, that came out of Egypt died in the wilderness because of unbelief. Everyone except Joshua and Caleb, only two men that had faith, went into Canaan's land that were 20 years old and upward when they came out of Egypt. And all the rest from that age, so the children is the only ones. And you know what their complaint was? They said, they complained to Moses that God had brought their wives and children to die in the wilderness. The very thing that they were afraid of was not going to happen because the children's the one that entered in. You see, sometimes we make a false complaint, don't we? We say, oh, this is going to happen down there to our children. Well, listen, it's better if you get yourself straightened out and then your children will most likely be all right too. So, uh, what happened? They were filled with unbelief. They were not an example to their children. They were a bad example. They rebelled against God. And their sins brought their chastening and judgment and death finally. The wages of sin is death. And their children that they feared so much for, at least they made a pretense of doing that, were the ones that entered into Canaan's land with two adults, Joshua and Caleb, who were men of faith. And look what it says in verse 34. When he slew them, then they saw him. And they returned and inquired early after God. Sometimes it took all his judgments that came to bring about the change in their lives. And then in verse 35, And they remembered that God was their rock, and the high God their redeemer. My, how wonderful it is when God's people begin to remember. And remember that God is the rock of their salvation. Then it says, And they remembered. They remembered that God was their rock and the high God their Redeemer. Nevertheless, they did flatter Him with their mouth and they lied unto Him with their tongues. You know, God is wiser than the... You know, He's not fooled by what we do, what we say. Flattery doesn't get you anywhere with God. It may get you somewhere with men, but not with God, because He knows really deep down, doesn't He? You can just flatter Him all you want to and it's not going to make any difference. God is no respecter of persons. And they lied unto him with their tongues. It says in verse 37, For their heart was not right with him. Look at that. What was wrong? It was inward, wasn't it? 
It wasn't this outward voice. God, you've been so good to us. Or however they flattered, or however they lied to God, they may have said, God, we'll follow you everywhere you want us to go now. We, we you know, we've learned our lesson. But that was all flattery and lies. And God knew it. And it says in verse uh, 37, For their heart was not right with him, neither were they steadfast in his covenant. That means they wouldn't keep their word. He had given him them their uh, his covenant, and they would not even abide by it. In verse 38, But he, being full of compassion, you talk about God's long-suffering, forgave their iniquity, and destroyed them not, Yea, many a time turned he his anger away. He had to turn his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath. It's a good thing God is long-suffering, isn't it? He turned his anger away. And if God had not turned his anger away, they would have been destroyed completely. You remember time and time again, Moses interceded, interceded for them. And uh, in doing so, God would, would withdraw his wrath and his anger. Verse 39. For he remembered that they were but flesh. He remembered that they were weak. He remembered that they were but just men. A wind that passes away and cometh not again. I want you to look at that verse 39 again, and we'll go and come back to it in just a moment. He remembered that they were but flesh. And I want to read in Psalm 105, 103 rather. Psalm 103. It says... Uh, in verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Have you ever heard people say, I want what's coming to me? Don't ever say that. I just, I just want what's coming to me. I'm, I don't want what's coming to me. Brother, I go that way, don't you? says, He had not dealt with us after our sins, and He rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. And then it says, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. And then it says, Look, like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear Him. Here's the verse I wanted to get. For He knoweth our frame, He remembereth that we are dust. Back to our song. He remembered that we are dust. What did we read? What was the last verse? Notice. It says, verse 39, For he remembered that they were but flesh. And Psalm 103 says, He remembers that we are dust. A wind that passeth away and cometh not again. How oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Notice that word, how oft. How oft. It was not just once in a while. But it was almost just just consistently, one time after another, just often. Maybe one day and then skip a couple of days and there it was again. It just, how oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. They remembered not his hand, nor the day when he delivered them from the, from the enemy. They even forgot about their deliverance from Egypt, from Pharaoh and the Egyptians. They didn't remember his mighty hand. Remember they sang the song by his mighty hand he had brought them out and his great power he had brought them out of, of Egyptian bondage and they sang a song of joy, of redemption and of victory after they crossed over uh, the Red Sea and Miriam uh, 
headed up the course, and they really had a victorious song, didn't they? But then in a little while, what? They forgot. They remembered not his hand, nor the day when he delivered them from the enemy. We think, you know, you and I as Christians, we've been redeemed by Christ's blood. We've been saved. We've been made to rejoice. We sing a song, O happy day that fixed my choice on thee, my Savior and my God. Well did my glowing heart rejoice and tell its raptures all abroad. And then people forget. They get out away from God. They get in trouble. They're chastened of God. They're away from God. And they wonder, why did all this happen to me? Poor me. Why did all this happen to me? Well, there's probably a reason. There's probably a reason, friend. Because sometimes we just get away from God. And all of this is to teach us not to do the things they did when they did, did what they did. Look, in 1 Corinthians 10, and we'll come back to this in a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I want you to begin reading with verse 1. We'll come on down. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Remember, we've come, come that far. Said it's typical of baptism, and the spiritual rock, the water from the rock, and the, and the manna from heaven, the spiritual food. Now, verse 5. But with many of them God was not well pleased. That's 10 verse 5. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things were our examples to the intent that we, to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. See that? Our examples. It says, Neither be ye idolaters as some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. They worshiped the golden calves. Look. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Fornication. Illicit sex. All kinds of corrupt, sensual things going on. And then it says, Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Remember when they tempted uh, uh, God sent the serpents among them? That's what we talked about, the manna that they complained about and God sent fiery serpents. That was tempting Christ. It says, Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. God judged them time and time again. Look at verse 11. Now, all these things, someone says, what does that mean to us? You know, I've been up here preaching on Psalm 78, telling you about the history of the nation of Israel. Some Every once in a while you'll get some a person that said, well, what does Israel have to do with me? Right here, verse 11. Look at it. Look at it with your own eyes. Now, all these things happened unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition. Whose? Ours. Upon whom the ends of the world are come. Verse 6 says, now, now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Verse 11 says, all these things happened to them for in samples. Examples and in samples. There are figures or types to show us and teach us the lessons that God was teaching them. And God taught them the lessons that, that if they continued in unbelief, they would provoke him to jealousy and to anger and to chastening them. He would chasten them, and yet in all the midst of it, he'd, 
uh, he has great long-suffering and mercy toward them. Now back to our song. And this next section, verses 41 and 2, is an example of ingratitude and unbelief that we just studied. Verse 41 42, an example of ingratitude and unbelief. Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. They remembered not his hand, nor the day when he delivered them from, uh, from the enemy. You and I ought to remember our deliverance from sin, from Satan, from the devil, and how he translated us into his kingdom. The Bible says he's delivered us from the powers of darkness and translated into the kingdom of his dear Son. And once you were saved, when you were saved, you were delivered from Satan's kingdom into God's kingdom. And you're a child of the king. And you're out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Out of the powers of Satan into the powers of God. And the thing about it is, we need to remember that deliverance. And remember it in so many ways. Remember it by thanking and praising God for it. Remember it by showing Him due service and respect. Remember it by attending the house of God. Remember it by prayer and by reading His Word and by uh, living a consecrated and devoted uh, a Christian, a godly, holy life. That shouldn't scare people that want to live for God. You know, a lot of times people get scared when you mention holiness and righteousness and truth and godliness. It should be in our lives. It's what we need. We fall short. There's no question about that. We can all improve. And I try to, day by day. I make my mistakes and my sins and shortcomings are the same as yours. I have the same problems to deal with, same aches and pains, the same hurts. But it's our business to try to turn it over to God and overcome. And God will give us the strength. And everything you say that you'll do, say, by the grace of God or with God's help, I'm going to change this situation. And you need God's help to do it. Everyone needs God's help to do it. And the main thing is you be willing to look for God's help. And when you're willing to look for it, it's going to be there. It's going to be there. Look at verse 43 now. How he wrought his signs in Egypt and his wonders in the field of Zoan. The field of Zoan is equated with Egypt and the land of Egypt. And remember the signs or the wonders that God brought and the plagues of judgment. You know, he brought ten plagues upon Egypt. He brought blood in the water and he brought frogs and lice and flies and urine and boils and hail and locusts and darkness and then the death of the firstborn. Ten great plagues of judgment. And he mentions here in the psalm several of them uh, directly and others indirectly. And we find that in spite of what he had done in the land of Egypt, the signs of Egypt, verse 43, and his wonders in the field of Zoan, they still were not convinced and they still uh, turned away from God in unbelief. It's amazing how many things God can do for us and we still won't accept it. Still won't believe it. We look at the negative side instead of the positive side. We say, well, you know, I don't have this. Well, never mind what you don't have. What do you have? It's like the old guy's coffee cup. Is it half full or half empty? If you've got a half a cup, that's pretty good. So, Never look at it that way. Look at it on the positive side. And think of what God has given you, not what He hasn't given you. There's, uh, I've heard people say, Well, I don't have this. I don't have that. Always complain what they don't have. Or I can't get this. And I do. 
If you complain about what you don't have, you'll have less. Be thankful for what you have and you'll have more. That's just true, beloved. The Bible says, Given it shall be given unto you, good measures, uh, shaken down, running over, pressed down, and running over. Shall men give unto your bosoms? I was telling my wife today, I said, God has been so good to us. It says, uh, you know, the more uh, that it seems like God just gives you blessings. Just gives you blessings. And uh, I, I'm sometimes amazed at the miracles in a little way. You, you say, well, I want a big miracle. But, you know, there's, there's also little miracles along the way. Everyone's always looking for Have you ever heard people say, when my ship comes in, then I'm going to do this? Your ship may already have landed, brother. It may be docked and moored. It may be there ready to unload, and that's all you're going to get. And you better be thankful for it right then and there. Take it day by day, as Brother Randy was speaking a little bit ago, before the service. You know, we have to learn to accept things. And you know, uh, I, I'm thankful for today and all of its blessings. I'm trying to build a little room on the house down there. And, uh, you know, I'm enjoying doing it. And if I never get it finished, I'll have had a lot of fun. But I think I'll get it finished by the grace of God. It looks like He's just making things happen and uh, everything's working fine. He sent us a lot of good rain. That didn't help me out there in the rain, but the rain was good. And so, you know, sometimes we complain about things that are really good anyway. And so, the thing about it is, accept it day by day and thank God for it. And He'll work it out. It'll be for your, uh, His glory and your good eventually. In verse 44 it says, how, how, had he, And had turned their rivers into blood. That's the first one of those judgments of the ten. And their floods that they could not drink. He turned the water into blood. And that was the first sign to uh, Pharaoh and the Egyptians. He sent divers sorts of flies among them which devoured them and frogs which destroyed them. Remember we spoke about uh, the frogs and old Pharaoh. He said, you know, Moses, take away these frogs. Take away these frogs. And Moses says, when? He says, tomorrow. Brother, I want those things out there. They were in the bed chambers. Imagine slimy old filthy frogs crawling in through your bed sheets and in the kneading troughs you start making the bread and there are frogs crawling all in it. And everywhere they went in their houses, everywhere, squeaking, slimy frogs. And you tell me, tomorrow? Boy, if I'd have been old favorite, I'd said right now, immediately if not sooner, yesterday would have been the best time. Yesterday. But they wouldn't do it, would they? You know why? It reminds me of some people that, that say, well, you know, I, this, this certain sin in my life, I'm going to give it up tomorrow. I'm going to give it up next day. I'm going to give it up, you know. I've got a plan there. Sure enough, I'm going to give it up one day. If you're ever going to do anything giving it up or even accepting the things of God, it needs to be done immediately. It needs to be done when you know it's right to do so. Right then. Because this plan... This plan to do it in the future. That's procrastination. That's putting it off. Putting it off. And you know more people get in trouble by doing that. Putting off till tomorrow what should be done today and right now. And if you do, sometimes all the opportunities will slip by and you'll never uh, gain them again. Brother Walker, he said he's working up there. And uh, he took off time to come to church tonight. I told him I hoped it would be worth his while. Because, you know, the thing about this, let me just say this. 
look at the if if a person does say, well, I'm, I'm go, I got this to do, and they go ahead and do it. Well, that's fine and dandy. They may accomplish a great deal. They may get it done. But that will wait. But listen, if you miss a service and you miss the, the house of God and you miss the fellowship with God's people, there's some blessing there. I don't know what it is, but you're going to get something. And brother, when you do, it's going to be worth your time of putting off the other thing. And a lot of people just will not, uh, they do not see the importance. Remember we told you, I use Sunday morning to illustrate that uh, missing the house of God, you miss God's blessings. And Thomas was not with them when Jesus came. And when Thomas was with them, Jesus, he had to tell Thomas, he says, Behold my hands. You know, Thomas' complaint was this. Listen. Thomas' complaint was, Unless I see the nail prints in his hands and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. But the time before when he appeared to the disciples, it says he showed them his hands and his feet. The very thing that he was wanting to know was revealed the time he missed the service. You see, a lot of times you say, I sure wish I knew. I've heard people come in the church and say, Brother George, why don't you preach on this or that or the other? I say, I preached it last week. You know, week before last. Well, I missed. Well, you know what? You missed the very thing you needed. It's important that you be in God's house. And, and by the way, the, the very thing you need, the service you missed, that'll probably be the time that was there. And you didn't get it. Just like your wife fixing the table for you to come eat and you some special food that you like. Well, you know, I wasn't there today. Or, I, you know, I missed that meal. 